Welcome to the Caring Together podcast. Caring for a loved one can be one of life's greatest privileges, but caregiving can also be overwhelming, exhausting, and isolating. Whether you're currently a caregiver or just want to learn more about caregiving, we're glad you're here. And I'm Jack Baker. I'm one of your co-hosts. I've been involved with supporting seniors and a caregiver myself for over four decades. And I'm your other co-host, Amy Smythe, with the Area Agency on Aging, Region 1B. In this season of the Caring Together podcast, we're focusing on what it takes not just to survive, but to thrive mind, body, and soul during your caregiving journey. We're grateful to our sponsor for making this season possible, the Ralph C. Wilson Jr. Legacy Fund for Caregivers at the Community Foundation for Southeast Michigan, with additional support provided by the Area Agency on Aging 1B. Well, here we are at the final episode of our second season. We've been joined by Jill Gaffner-Livingston, an experienced caregiver and a certified dementia practitioner and Alzheimer's disease and dementia trainer through the International National Council of Certified Dementia Practitioners, who has literally trained thousands of formal and family caregivers around the world. And we've heard Jill's story of her own caregiving journey and explored together how a caregiver can stay mentally healthy during this time. Today, we're gonna turn our focus a little bit as the older adult population is the largest it's ever been in history. And with that, I'm reminded by something that Rosalind Carter said. There's only four kinds of people in the world, those who have been caregivers, those who are currently caregivers, those who will be caregivers, and those who will need a caregiver. I think that statement hits the nail on the head of how all of us will be impacted by caregiving at some point. If we ourselves are not a caregiver, chances are very good that we will know at least one person in our lives that's caring for an older adult. So with that in mind, today we're going to be addressing how we can best support other caregivers. And Jill, I'm I'm not currently caring directly for someone. I've got some older friends that I help out, quote unquote. I don't consider that caregiving so much, but I have several good friends and other family members that are caring for someone. And some of these folks are local that I can actually see and do stuff physically for. And some of these folks are states away. So I'm hoping today we can talk about how I and others who are like me and want to support caregivers can figure out creative ways to support people in a meaningful way. So thank you. uh, And thanks for inviting me back for for this episode, because I think this is important. Amy, you mentioned that the population right now is extreme. We have never seen a larger population of seniors since we started counting heads in the census in 1940. So, I mean, maybe somewhere along the line before that this happened, but likely it never has. And so that that's very important. What's also important is if you look at the generation of caregiver, the ages of caregivers, which follows the senior generation, and remember we have that extreme senior population right now, that next generation typically that are caregivers, like we don't have even half of the amount of people so it's you know people say oh it's hard to find a caregiver Uh, and and it's because we don't have that population of people period 
right, let alone caregivers, it's just such a reduced number of human beings after the baby boomer generation. So what you have is where it used to be years ago, you would have someone taking care of one person. Now you have someone taking care of two and three at a time. So that's what our world looks like right now. And it can add to such an extreme amount of stress to care for one person, let alone I'm taking care of my mother and her sister and her brother because we don't have enough people in our family to do it and so forth. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a hardship on many, many, many people. So that's first off, you know, and years ago, back in 2011, uh, then President Obama, well, he, just like every other world leader, knew that this this large population of seniors was coming. And they also knew that the following generation was going to be minimal. So he went through every state, every territory and said, you know, you need to give us a plan on what you're going to do to care for the elderly. And so all the states and territories had to submit a plan to then President Obama, which is why you're seeing so many senior care facilities pop up. I mean, you have them. I live on the east side of, of Detroit. We have them all over the place in Michigan, every other state. And if you don't see new construction, you're seeing existing construction with remodels from retirement homes to memory care units and, and so forth. So the world's been preparing for this for a long time. Now we have this huge population of seniors, baby boom, baby boomer seniors, kind of a fun group of seniors, really. And then you have this limited number of caregivers. And then you have people like you said that Ms. Carter mentioned that everybody is one, knows one, or will become one. And I say that too. You can take an, a bow and arrow, shoot it in any direction, and you're going to hit 10 caregivers. Yeah. Any direction you and and that's today, mm -hmm. and this thing isn't going to go anywhere for a long time. Do you know the boomers don't stop going through the system for another ten years? We expect by 2030, 2030, that's ten years of baby boomer aging. So they started turning sixty five what five years ago. The average age for dementia is sixty five. They don't clear that cycle till 2030. So this is not a today issue. This is one that's going to be with us for a long, long time. So now your question, how do we help these caregivers that are overwhelmed, taking more responsibility of than one person? They're taking two and three and doing whatever they can to help friends and family and maintain their jobs and their kids and all the things that we have said throughout all the other episodes, right? And what I think is this, and Jack, you mentioned how, you know, people will be like, oh, if you need anything, give me a holler, <laughs> right? Well, caregivers will never give you a holler. I am not going to be asking you for any help. Now, for someone that has never been a caregiver, they may stand back and go, well, she wanted me. Why wouldn't she ask? If it was that bad, Jill would have asked for help. No, Jill's not going to ask for help. Jill doesn't need any more debt. I am financially exhausted, emotionally exhausted, and I am in debt already. I don't, if you do something for me, what do I need to do back for you? Because I got nothing. I'm empty. I got nothing. I don't want you to do anything for me that I have to repay, right? right. And so many times we say, oh, we're fine. Oh, we're fine. We don't want a burden. We don't want to owe you. We don't want any more debt. 
So, and there's a part to it that you may say, well, listen, why don't you have me come watch so-and-so for a while? And you think the last thing on earth I want is you to come watch my loved one. So there's a lot of maybe personal stuff there too. Nonetheless, what I find to be the best way to help a caregiver is they have that totally separate from caregiving, that pay it forward thing that's been going on for years. Mm -hmm. You might drive through a coffee uh, drive through and the person in front of you pays for your coffee, right? Or maybe you pay for the person's coffee behind you. Most people are aware of that, have been either they have purchased a coffee or a dinner or something. I've been doing it for years where I just like finding an elderly person sitting maybe by themselves and I'll just say quietly, please just give me their bill. I don't want them to know about it. And I walk out like I won the lottery. Right. They don't eat that much. Would it cost you $8? This person is so happy and they'll never know who I am. And I'm so excited about that. And that's what we need to do for caregivers. And I say, if you want to help a caregiver, don't ever give them anything that you need to put your name on and expect absolutely nothing in return. Let me tell you a couple of experiences that we had. So when we were in the midst of all of this, and this is probably, oh, I don't know, maybe fifth, sixth year into Bob's illness. Financially, we just were, well, we were, we were poor, like very close to, to poor. We, we did the best that we could. I was still working two jobs, going to school at night. We had all three kids. Nicholas had been born that year. And we came home. We were given, I was given a gift card to Red Lobster Restaurant. No, we didn't go out to dinner because, you know, we didn't have that kind of money. But with the red lobster, oh, my gosh, are you kidding? And, you know, we thought we were going to prom. We were so excited. <laughs> so we go to Red Lobster for our meal, all five of us. We come home, and it had snowed. So there was, you know, white snow everywhere. But my front porch was packed with groceries. I mean, everything from cleaning products to formula for Nicholas to diapers to food to canned goods to including a note from Santa Claus. Aww. Now, we never. In fact, you know how there's always someone in the neighborhood that doesn't miss anything? Well, we had mm -hmm. one of those two. I went over and I said, did you see anybody at our house? And they said, no, we didn't see anything. There were no tracks. We went out to look for footprints in the snow. There was nothing. <laughs> Here I am 30 years later, 20 years later, whatever it is. I still couldn't tell you who did that for us. Uh -huh. It was fabulous. And you know what? Whoever it was, they didn't make it about them. They walked away. If you want to help a caregiver, just do it. Yeah, Quietly. I think that's a that's a wonderful uh, way to frame this. Let, one of the things I love working with Amy uh, on this podcast about is she's a person that somebody floats an idea by, and the next thing you know, she's doing it. And last fall, we were sitting in a in a session with uh, the Washtenaw Family Caregiver Network and some of the other agencies involved in providing services for seniors, and they were talking about, well, we want to support caregivers. November's National Caregiving Month. How do we do that? And I don't remember exactly whose idea, whether it was Amy's or not, but she made it happen. 30 ways in 30 days to thank a caregiver. And I think in, in, from my perspective, one of the most, caregiving can be a very thankless job. You know, the person that you're caring for, not through their own fault, maybe because of their illness, can be um, harsh, right? 
They can be demeaning sometimes. And just saying thank you to a caregiver, I think things that simply, to be intentional, you know, uh, you know, with showing appreciation to the caregivers in your circle, you know, we all have them. Uh, uh, there's, you know, the, the last episode we talked about the coronavirus and that adds a little bit of complexity, but the idea of a gift card or a gift basket where just somebody was thinking about them, recognizing that they're carrying a burden uh, to go out of their way to do for it. And I love doing it anonymously, you know, just have it show up that way. Because as you said, Jill, you're talking about it 30 years after the fact, right, for, for what that was all about. Yeah, and you know, I never thought about the whole doing something for them and then them feeling like they have to do something back, you know, cause I mean, in my mind, that would never, that would not be the intention, but I really appreciate that you brought that point up um, and just does emphasize it more, the importance of doing things uh, anonymously. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I think there's a part also, we talked about the tremendous guilt well, the guilt never goes away, right? You can hijack someone's emotions just by one thing, but by guilt. You know, if someone comes back 10 years later and says, well, you remember everything I did for you and Bob when Bob was sick, it brings with it guilt, right? Whether they mean that or whether they don't, it's like, oh yeah, did I thank you enough? What was I supposed to do? Like right. We kind of start going through like, oh, oh my gosh, did I forget to do? And we don't need that. So do it. Keep your mouth. If someone's grass needs cutting, cut it. If, you know, if you want to put something on their, their door like they did me, I had a bottle of perfume I used to wear back in the day when perfume was a thing. I don't know if it still is, but I used to wear white shoulders and someone put a bottle of white shoulders on my desk at work. I don't know who it was. Still never found out. Uh, I asked everybody and I tried to read their their faces to see who it was. I never found out, but those were the best things. The things that I couldn't take are the people that made an issue about it, you know, and told people in public that, you know, Jill didn't really have anything for her kids this year. So I got them all coats and I'm standing there feeling like a lousy mom, you know, right, right. that kind of thing. Yes. It was nice that you helped us with that, but please don't put any more. Don't do that for us anymore. We are going to be fine with what we have. And, you know, we adjusted our lives. We did our, um, our shopping was a lot of Salvation Army and garage sales and trying to get the kids uh, nice clothes with the amount that we had. And I remember when Bethany, uh, she got her first shirt had a tag on it. <laughs> well, I did get it from Salvation Army, but it had never been worn. So it still had the tag. And she ran through the neighborhood going, look at, look at, I got a shirt that has a tag on it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, yeah, she was mom. No one ever wore it before. And I'm like, that's right, sweetheart. No one ever wore it. But oh. so we have our own ways of handling a lot of this. And, uh, and we have a lot of pride. And, uh, and that's why I think that it matters that we don't feel indebted. What about friends of mine who are caring for a parent with dementia? Like many of us aren't familiar with the ins and outs of the disease, so it can be intimidating to, you know, offer to help or to even talk to 
our friend about it if we don't know because you're always afraid of saying the wrong thing or not understanding? How do you how would how would a person approach that? Exactly what you just said, Amy. I would talk to them and say, you know, I care about you a lot. I'm just not familiar with dementia and I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. Tell them right out. You know, I'm trying to learn if you know of an event. And, you know, for instance, I do a lot of community events. And if you know of them, say, I've heard of this event. Can I pick you up and take you? I would love to take you to something and I'll go with you. We'll learn more about this together. So, you know, encourage them, tell them we want to get the girls together to go to dinner next Tuesday. And we really want you to come. What would it take to have you come? If we went to dinner right on the corner, if we went at an earlier time, you know, what can we do to work it into your schedule? Because we want you to come. So I would say just be completely honest and truthful and open. You know, they're trying to figure it out, too. That's the hard part about dementia is that everybody's trying to figure out dementia. And there is no solid instruction book. And so, you know, I think they would probably, your friend would appreciate just that honesty from you to say, listen, I'm here to help you. If I can help your mom, I will help your mom. If I can help you, I'll help you. What can we do? That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Maybe following up on that, um, I think one thing that we noticed, we had a, a couple friends that would bring dinner in a game night and come to our house. Now, with the COVID-19, that's not appropriate right at the moment, but that's going to be gone you know, at some point in time. And that was wonderful because it was so difficult for us to arrange for some kind of respite care so we could actually leave, right, the house, that it was a way we could do both. It was really appreciated, I know. Yeah, we did the same thing. In fact, ours was the go-to house. Even the kids had their friends over all the time. Bob loved having the kids over, right? And because he liked music so much, he'd spin records and the kids would be there. And we had a very, very, very active house. In fact, most people said it was far too active. But to us, (laughs) it gave us, you know, like it, it was fun. And um, so that is true. We did a lot of entertaining inside. Um, and, and maybe it wasn't 50 people, but maybe it was five or, or 10. You know, mm-hmm. it was good. On a similar kind of note, um, I think for for families where there's siblings, maybe caring for a parent, but it often falls on one of the family members, one of the siblings, often the oldest daughter, it seems to be, even though I'm a male and I'm actively involved in caregiving. But I think one of the things that people don't realize is how important it is for caregivers to get a break, because it's not just the tasks of what you're doing. It's the responsibility 24-7 all the time. And if you have a sibling that's, that's a caregiver or a good friend that's a caregiver, and it's complicated, it may take some work to figure out how to do it, but to arrange a way to provide them a weekend away, you know, five days if they could do it, where they get a chance just to let their brains kind of quiesce about the responsibilities. I don't know what your thoughts might be on that, Jill. Yeah, I used to look for people to to do that with me too. And I never had, I never, I had that break, but I know exactly what you're talking about. And I really wanted it. Uh, I think it's great. And yes, families start out thinking, well, we can all share the responsibilities. And then we find out some are actually better caregivers than others. I mean, it just, mm-hmm. it just, they are. And, you know, I remember feeling at a point where, 
you know, uh, who maybe I expected Bob's family who actually didn't even live here in New York, maybe to get a little bit more involved in his care and come help and whatever. But through time, I realized that I saw them if they came for a, a visit and they didn't handle it very well. It scared them very much. So, and mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, you know, if you're scared, imagine what Bob's feeling like while you're taking care of him. I feel your fear. No doubt he does too. So then I understood that not everybody is in a position to be a caregiver, mm -hmm. right? And if they say they can't do it, chances are they can't do it well, mm -hmm. right? They can do it. They can't do it well. So, you know, don't push people that say I couldn't do it into doing it. They're probably telling it the truth. Yeah. Everybody's I think one of the things I struggle with a little bit as a male is that so often this falls on females and families, right? And it's, oh, well, I was never brought up to be a nurturing person as a guy or whatever. And I kind of call that out, I think, because a lot of caregiving is physical work sometimes, lifting, moving, you know, all that stuff. And, and so I kind of don't buy that. But the way I come at it is not everyone's maybe suited to be the caregiver, but everybody can do something. And what I don't want to hear is what you can't do. I want to hear what yeah. you can do, right? Whatever that I, is, financial. Jeff, I think you are a, a genuine, genuine character person. I do for the time that I have spent with you through this podcast. And, uh, but I can also tell you that for men, statistically, they say that 33% of caregivers are men. Although from what we can tell, it's probably closer to 44%. Mm -hmm. But men will not put themselves down as a caregiver for a lot of reasons. And, and one of them we briefly mentioned in a prior episode, which is that our world still does not understand the role of an adult caregiver yet. It's easier to call into work and say, I can't come to work, my baby's sick, than to call in and say, I can't come to work, my dad's having a bad day. Mm -hmm. And so for men, what we know is that oftentimes they are afraid it will affect the future of their work and opportunities and income if they are known to be a caregiver. So what would happen at work is people might say, well, you know, Jack is really due for this promotion, but, you know, he takes care of his mom and dad, and that is a lot of work. He is not going to be able to travel like he used to. Let's go ahead and give it to Joey. And then when things calm down in Jack's life, why, we'll catch up to him. And so men have stopped saying, yes, I'm a caregiver, and this is what I take care of, and so forth. They just don't because they know how hard. Listen, I teach thousands of people every year. And do you know less than 10% will come to a, a community event? Men, mm -hmm. they will send their women. I'll get emails that say, can you just send me the presentation? Like, Shh. <laughs> don't tell anybody, just send it to me, Jill. And I do, but it's like this big secret. Uh, and, and I'm sorry to say that it's like that. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I think, oh, sorry, go no, ahead. Go ahead, Jack. I was just going to say that um, I think for one thing that uh, I, I agree with everything you said, you know, there's, there's the kind of, I don't want to say stigma, but there's the societal assumptions about what it means to be a caregiver and what do you give up, you know, whether it's something career wise or something. The part I think that sometimes is missed though, is what you miss out on if you don't step into those roles. A friend told me, and Amy and I've talked about this numerous times about the 
privilege of caregiving, which is kind of an oxymoron for a lot of people to even think about. For me, what it's about is the human connection. You know, the opportunity to, at the end of the world, do you really care if you have a few more dollars, right? What you care about is the relationships in your lives. And, and from my standpoint, that's kind of one of those things, you know, that, that um, you know, I think sometimes, unfortunately, men don't step into those roles when they realize, when they would realize if they did, how much they would get out of it. Yeah, they did a study. Uh, have you ever heard the Harvard study? Uh, the real meaning of life and it, it, it's 75 years old I mean, that it's an old Harvard study and you can look it up on on Google but they took like 150 men from Harvard um, 75 years ago and they only took men because women didn't go to Harvard 75 years ago mm-hmm. and and these were the elite these are men that were going to be leaders and they had a lot of money and and so forth they came from you know extremely um, wealthy families and then they went into uh, another place where they took 75 I'm sorry, 150 men who worked on farms, never finished school, never went to college, um, were never going to be part of that prestigious elite crowd and, and so forth. And they followed them for 75 years. And as a matter of fact, the study is still going on. They're watching their children now. And some of the original people in the study are still alive. So they're, they're keeping an eye. And at the end of the study, what they have done is they have asked through all of your life and all of your experiences, whether you were wealthy and the head of a corporation and so forth, or whether, you know, you remained as a farmer and in low income and wages, what's the real key to happiness? And uh, across the board, it was relationships. And that solidifies what you had just said, Jack. Right. So it is the relationship and to get to the end of life and find out how much maybe you missed with the people that you love because you were maybe trying to find happiness in other things. You know, these people teach us that it is in the, the quality of the relationships that we have. And when I work with families who are caring for those with dementia, you will often find that the person with dementia towards the end of life goes through some combative behaviors and anger, and it can be because of a broken relationship. And if we can go back and help them to repair the those relationships at the end of life, they become far more calm and, um, and it's easier to work with them. Oh, that's, that's great information. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. One thing before we wrap up this season, um, you know, talking today about how as human beings, we can be supportive to other caregivers. I also know that uh, just by the nature of my work and being um, interested in this type of thing, that the resources for caregivers have certainly increased in recent years. Jill, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the changes you've seen in that and what you think might be some really key resources for caregivers to access easily? So, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. We went from when I started where the word caregiver didn't really 
people didn't respond to it. It was, I don't even know if it was a word back then, but to a time now that we have a population of caregivers that is so extreme. And so people are making resources every day. You find companies and, and, uh, and uh, you know, going through to maybe add it to their health programs at work, to their benefit groups. Uh, they will offer counseling for, for caregivers. I think it's important where I said, you know, I learned to keep my mouth shut. I think it's important to do just the opposite now because now we have the resources. We have area agency on aging. We have community events. We have a lot of places to look are your senior care centers in your neighborhood and call them and ask them, do you have any community training on whatever it is? Dementia is my thing. So, you know, I do these regularly of course right now uh, I'm on hold I think until June 1st yeah but June 1st comes and things change and we will do them uh, all weekends and whenever we possibly can introducing options and in-home good in-home care companies and how to look for a caregiver and what does it take to have a caregiver and what does respite mean and how do I handle my guilt and all of these things. So there are resources. All we have to do is go online and do a one-line Google search, dementia care at 48082, and you'll get a whole list of resources of people that want to help you. I had a request from a family the other day. The mom was on a tight budget. And personally, I thought the budget was going to be far too low to go into a senior care facility. But I thought, yeah, I'm going to put it out there. I reached out to my network and I just said, hey, I've got this you know, person that is looking. This is her monthly budget. Can anybody do it? You know, I had 12 calls within 10 minutes of people that oh, said, we'll great. take, yep, we'll do it. We'll do it. So sometimes you just got to go ask for it. Yeah. Ask exactly what you need. The world's a different place. People like responding. Yeah, I would I would agree with that wholeheartedly. The first time I got involved in caregiving was in 1982. My mom had lung cancer. I was 26 years old. We had no idea what we were doing and no one to talk to or nowhere to look. There were hospice didn't even really exist in those days, but it's not the same anymore. And the thing I've kind of consistently found, and in fact, Jill, it's it's part of the reason I was so excited about you being on the show, because it's not just that you're a certified, you know, expert in dementia and a trainer and all that. You've walked the walk. You've been a caregiver for 20 years, you know, with a loved one, went through all the ups and downs and everything and the emotional impact and the sacrifices and maybe the joys, you know, at times. Absolutely. But now look what you're doing. There's a reason for everything. Bob used to have a prayer that would say, thank you, dear Lord, for giving me cancer. I'm a better man with cancer than I ever was without it. That's. That's a powerful statement. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and for those that are looking for for resources, sometimes the very best resources I've found are other experienced caregivers. And almost everyone I know that's been a caregiver is willing to lend a hand in some way or other. And their expertise is is invaluable how to navigate it. You bet. Well, thank you so much, Jill, again, for all sharing your wisdom and your stories and the resources and, and all that you've brought to this season, this uh, the Caring Together podcast. We so appreciate you and appreciate your gifts and appreciate your time. It was a privilege. Thank you. It was nice working with you both. 
Yeah, I would. I would echo that. Absolutely. It's been wonderful to have you on. And I'm sure a lot of our our listeners will uh, will listen carefully to a lot of the suggestions you had because they're good. I hope it helps. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today on the Caring Together podcast. If you'd like more information about the resources that are available to family caregivers, please visit our website, livingstoncaregiver.org, or you can call our caregiver hotline, 844-734-CARE. That's 844-734-CARE to speak with a caregiver specialist. Please consider subscribing to the Caring Together podcast on your favorite podcast platform so that you can receive each new episode when it's released. We hope you found today's podcast helpful in your own caregiving journey. And to all the family caregivers out there, thanks for joining us on Caring Together.